Welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Joining me, once again, are two real academics from actual institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Roland Kirk Center for the Study of Wind Instruments here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of aerophones from the late Epipaleolithic site of Enan Malacha on the Hula Lake in Israel, dating to around 12,000 years ago. Like us, you may be asking, what the heck is an aerophone? In this case, they're long bones from waterfowl and raptors, which have been hollowed out and carefully perforated to turn them into whistle-like objects that imitate bird calls. So were these objects actually bird calls, or were they musical instruments? Is there a difference? Is all this part of prehistoric performances that were both practical and ritual? These tiny objects help humanize the Natufians who created them, but does it say much about the enchantment of the world? As usual, we're trying to get big answers from a small number of objects. This time, at least, they're squeaky ones. Okay, <clears throat> so lightning round—that's <laughs> at the top of my the top of my list. Um, what was the last piece of music that you listened to? Oh, well, live or recorded? Recorded. Well, you 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 you've been doing live music. You can. I was going to say the so the last they uh, the last live piece of music I heard a couple of nights ago was U.S. Blues by Dead and Company. Very good. Okay. I think that wins. Yeah, it does. I thought it was going to be more of a tinge towards a a Jethro Tull question, but. Well, I do have a version the last um, flute music you listened to. It's so esoteric. <laughs> but Rachel, do you need to give your answer? Um, my answer is is um, Madonna on the radio. So, wow, yeah, yeah. just came across it. Okay, yeah. Alex. Well, I, actually, I was listening this afternoon, and um, the great jazz flautist <laughs> Yusuf Latif. <laughs> um, it did come up on the mix uh, with his version of Nubian Lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You can't make this stuff up, folks. <laughs> this is this is wholesome content for the people. <laughs> the prof the the listener, aka the CIA profiler, is going shaking his or her head now. <laughs> I don't think we rank that high. I think <laughs> at, at most we'd have a. Uh, you know, junior. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what. Artificial intelligence, <laughs> something to something to match our own. Would someone please get me some immediately, Scott? <laughs> Anyone want to explain what all this has to do with uh, what we're actually talking about? 
Yeah. Somebody <laughs> should explain. I'll, I'll read the title. Okay. Okay. The title because we're the trying article. to be better about, you know, referencing positively positive work that we're positive the people have done. The article is called Bone Aerophones from Anan Malha. Malacha, indicate imitation of raptor calls by the last hunter-gatherers in the Levant. So basically it's flutes in the Natufian. <laughs> Neflutian. <Right>. It's, it's <laughs> the Neflutian period. Right. And uh, this, uh, this appeared in uh, Nature Scientific Reports. And I won't go on about how many authors there are, but there there's a few. There are a bunch of authors. Who's here. the lead author? Give the lead author. Uh, Laurent Davin. Okay. There and uh, who do we know? Hamoudi Khalili is on here and Francois Valla. I worked with Hamoudi at the site of, oh my God, it was a little calcolithic site on the North Sinai coast. And I can't even remember the name. It was in like 1981. Hmm. Did it have a name or just a number? No, it had a name. Tell Katif. Katif. Oh. oh. Okay. With Itzikiliad. Okay. Uh, Itzik. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big shout out sky points to, to Itzik, who mm -hmm. was, who was a great guy and a yep. great scholar. Yep. <laughs> now that we've bummed ourselves out here. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's Anan, Malacha on Lake Kula, huge Natufian site. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's huge. Well, for a Natufian site. For the Natufian, Natufian site, right. <laughs> right. So the Natufian is is in the second half of the Epipaleolithic, if I remember correctly. And uh, it dates to, the period dates to 15,000 years until about 11,700 years before present. Correct. Very uh, good, Professor Halate. Professor, <laughs> Professor Halloween. Professor Halloween. <laughs> I uh, I had to look up the dates, obviously, um, <laughs> and it's a well-known, well-excavated site. And the new thing is, um, archaeologists have found um, and and now analyzed bones that uh, were found there. Uh, seven tiny wing bones with holes in them, which seem to have been the the holes in them seem to mean they were made into flutes. Well. So, uh Aerophones. Aerophones. Right. Um, should, I, should I do the aerophone joke? <laughs> sure. I thought the I read aerophones. It's like I don't know what an aerophone is. I I remember when you're on a plane and there's that little phone in the back of the headrest in front of you. That's an aerophone. That's it. Well done. But, but that also dates me a little bit. Uh, just a tad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but are they flutes or are they or are they hellos. calls? Well, oh, right. Well, they're aerophone. I think if we stick with aerophones, we won't have to get into very the whole safe. thing. Much yeah, exactly. Safer. Right. Very so this safe. is very a, a fascinating find. There's so much. There's so much. In, there's so many interesting things about this. Um, but I'm going to start with something very mundane and prosaic. Uh, this stuff that they're now identifying as a very early musical instrument or bird call um, was found around 2005 and they found so many bones something on the order of what what, what is it is it 1100 bird bones yeah 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 something yeah. like that yeah. yeah that it, it took so long to find 
you know, to analyze this stuff and and then recognize it. Um, and and so that just sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, there's gold and then there are hills. You know, you excavate the site and then when you get to analyzing it, you don't know what you're going to have. And in this case, they had early, should we call it a, should we get right to the function? Is it a musical instrument or is it a bird call or is a bird call a musical instrument? Oh, right, right. That's a question, all well, right. Now I'm, now I'm flummoxed. But we should point out that um, that at this at this site and in most Natufian sites, there are sort of two kinds of birds that are being collected. One are waterfowl and like the Eurasian teal and the Eurasian coot. The teal <laughs> is basically a duck. Right, <laughs> fancy word for a duck. And um, birds of prey, right, which they're collecting for their talons. And I suppose they're they eating also them too. Eating them, right? yeah, I was going to say, but yeah. but that's the part that's that seems to be, you know, most left behind. Right. Though we could also speculate, with some degree of accuracy, that they're probably also using the feathers. Oh, sure. Because so, of right. Um, yeah. Although we nobody talked about that, and we sh we should really talk about that. I hadn't hmm. thought of. That's um, true. Yeah. They had feathers in their hair. <laughs> Probably. probably yeah so we should also point out that that this area of the Hula valley is um a an area that it's part of the the migration route of many species of birds so there are always birds flying overhead <laughs> as, as opposed to anywhere else i suppose <laughs> um, right it's... and um and that um the um common birds in the area are the uh, sparrowhawk and the common kestrel, both birds of prey, uh, which can easily be found in the area. And that the they they reconstructed one of these flutes so they could actually play the music from it. And they think that it sounds like the call of the sparrowhawk or the common kestrel. Right. So there are a couple of long bones of of these birds, these ducks, duck-like creatures with holes that are one between one and three holes, which are very, very carefully drilled or carved into the bone. <clears throat> and then you blow into it and it makes a squeaky sort of bird call kind of a, kind of a sound. And this is the earliest, uh, these are the earliest examples of aerophones in the near East. It appears. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, European, yes, correct. Right. In and the European Paleolithic, they go back to, to the Orignation period, forty thousand years ago or so, right? But <clears throat> down down our way, much later. Although one would think that they're you know they're probably around earlier. We just haven't quite noticed them until this meticulous and probably mind numbing work of right. analyzing thousands of bird bones and sticking them back together and. Right. Carefully right. at holes. And of course, the other really interesting thing uh, is that they, uh, the excavation was so meticulous and so careful, and undoubtedly they did an extreme, extraordinary amount of sieving, mm -hmm. that they rec recovered all these bird bones. Because bird bones are very, very, very light right. and very, can be very, very teeny tiny and small. And so if you don't pay very careful attention while sifting, you're not even going to find bird bones. So they did a really tremendous job. Uh, just be um, to find them. Right. That's absolutely true. Um, 
I I'll I'll just say this because it's it's not important, but it was really kind of bothered me that they're they're using bird bones to make instruments to call to birds. Um, and it's just a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a little too much false flag going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's how do you feel about like, you know, dipping a chicken cutlet in an egg to, you know, well, I exactly. I don't like that either. And I was thinking, <laughs> and I was thinking about the Flintstones, which you know I figured I might as well bring that up, where they would never do that kind of thing. They would use a living bird and squeeze it to get a sound if they needed a sound. Well, the so. bird would actually talk to you, right? Like oh, the bird that was the record player. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. <laughs> Maybe, uh, or the bird that wasn't there a bird that was used to uh, be the whistle at the end of the day, work day. Sure, right. He would pull on his legs or something, and he his tail. I think. Yeah, tail. yeah, yeah. At right. the quarry, right? right. At the, the good old quarry, right? <laughs> Boy, we—it's taken us no time at all to get completely off topic. <laughs> that, that one was my fault. I apologize. No, no. It's—I I don't even remember what you said, but it was a good point. It, yeah. No, it was just using bird bones. It's to part call. of the charms. Yeah. Um, okay, so so there's so much to talk about with this. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the Flintstones. We're doing a good job of it. But. Well, one 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 of you just pointed out how small they are and easy to miss, and also easy to break down, and and so it's amazing that they're found. But let's also talk about how small they are. That you'd need really small fingers to play, and you have to be very dexterous to to make sounds come out of this and make a tune come out of this. Um, well, they were able. I mean, they. They they created replicas and they're able to, you know, make sounds out of these replicas. So clearly they were right. But Natufian Natufian people were, as all people in prehistory, were short. <laughs> they, they they smelled they by our you know standards. They probably smelled bad. We're not and, talking about that though. <laughs> and they were dead by the time they were forty. Right. Um. But um, they were ex exceedingly exceedingly creative yeah and and we we can't forget that for a minute otherwise their <laughs> lawyers will be all over us um, <laughs> absolutely but no i was wondering you know would children have been playing these would women with smaller hands have been playing these or you're just saying alex that they're all small and anyone could have handled it they're all small all right um, i think so, I mean, uh, that's the sort of the next step. So, that, right. Okay. So let's talk about things instead of keep telling everybody it's interesting. So yeah. one of the things that they found was that it was clearly, you know, <clears throat> through human intervention that these holes are made. Okay. Right. So they're deliberate. And that the holes are arranged in such a way as to get a very specific tonality. And that there are, there's one whole example and six fragmentary examples. And the holes all from all of the examples produce this same range and right. between 2,500 and 12,000 Hertz. I can't hear you. You're speaking so low. <laughs> I only can hear high shriekish pitches that are appropriate to Natufian hunting. <laughs> and, and one of the outcomes of that little piece of <laughs> was the suggestion that there's a degree of standardization and that there's a recognition of this um you know audible range um and the and and clearly that's what they wanted you know they wanted to to get this specific range and that speaks a lot that speaks to all sorts of things 
right? I mean, we've all dealt with the issue of standardization in much later time periods. We've all dealt with, we've all taught and talked about the Epipaleolithic and Neolithic in general. And this issue of standardization always comes up. And here we have a really, really interesting aspect of standardization uh, in in the creation of of uh, musical instruments or bird calls. And again, I don't I don't think we need to depart that too finely. But... I think we're going to talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> but so but I, I thought that was really interesting. The well, issue. Of, yeah, it's I, it's intentionality. Intentionality and standardization. It, it's it's design. And and execution and some of these little holes have notches next to them as if they were in some manner measured out. So there's an experimental um, aspect to this that, you know, to create these sounds, they have to be holes have to be close to one another. The, the bones have to be more or less this this length. Some guy can't come back with a hippopotamus bone and say, here's my bird call. I made it out of a bone that's, you know, four feet long. <laughs> and uh, no, 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 you, you know, that's just not going to work. But, but to, to be devil's advocate about, about this just for a minute, um, yes, very much standardization. However, they're not all made out of the same long bone, the same wing bone. There are several different types of wing bones that are used. So there's some standardization, but not 100% standardization. Some have one hole and some have three holes and so right. on. So well, there's it's the design that's well. standardized. It's what? It's the design and the, the underlying concept that's standardized and it's right. being expressed on, it's not exactly different media, but it's, they're different like, materials slightly. Right. But also just imagine how many bones they broke mm. <laughs> to make these things. Right. I mean, and they're and, and you know, they're also using a very specific uh, notching technology to make the holes that are not represented in any other bone uh, bone tools from the Natufian. So there's right. also a very specific manufacturing uh, technology that is associated with this. So there's even there's that level of specialization as well. So it's like craft specialization with a sample size of was it six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is maybe the earliest version of craft work. Yeah. Bon, bon, bon. You clean you clean your ducks, you eat your ducks, you are careful. Get them you... in a row. Right. You put them in a row. <laughs> and don't break those bones. Stop sucking right. the marrow out of those bones. Precisely. Even though the oh, wings no. might be delicious, just be careful of the bones in the right. wings. And the dexterity that's involved. Right. It's not like they're making these things out of, you know, clubs or, you know, <laughs> bl other blunt instruments. Um, and that that uh, that denotes real hand-eye coordination, which was obvious because they're making all these fantastic chipstone tools anyway, that the likes of which, you know, we couldn't do. We would put an eye out if we tried to do that. <laughs> You'll put an eye out. <laughs> and it's part of a symbolic, it's a symbolic act, sort of. Well, right. And everything's symbolic. Right. I, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> everything's symbolic. Right. Um, right. And not only that, but they found sort of notches and grooves as well as ochre. Ochre. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So we know that, that these things are part of a whole big, you know, s symbolic vocabulary that now we have, you know, the, the audible um 
qualities of that yeah. that symbolic landscape. Right. right. And that that actually is an interesting point to talk about is is uh, soundscapes. Yeah. Which I don't know that we've ever talked about. We haven't talked about every other damn thing. Yeah. Um, but reproducing soundscapes or understanding ancient soundscapes is becoming a pretty big deal. Yep. And ancient peoples were highly, highly attuned to creating sound, reflecting sound, mimicking sound, uh, tuning sound. And this is something that's really only come into archaeological focus in the last, whatever, 10, 20 years. And, um, yeah. and here's, a, here's an example of human replication, so it seems, of, the na of a natural sound. For, for nefarious purposes to be, right. to be sure it's, this ain't no dead and company show but um so you know humans inter interfering so to speak in the in the natural soundscape yeah um, um i don't so, know is that right. worth commenting so, on <laughs> well, well i think yeah. you commented on it i mean there's a lot going on in terms of um this find now being able to sort of get into you know human behaviors and aspects of you know brain function and all of these kinds of things um all sorts of sound theory that um you know we we replicate sounds that are heard in nature and blah blah you know the reasons why we do that and and all of these kinds of things so it really allows us to get into that and that's something that has not been you know really possible um Though it hasn't been impossible because, as you mentioned, um, and this is another case of finding something really interesting, wild and wonderful, but also perhaps not, you know, fully giving credit to the fact that we have evidence for, for you know, human instruments that go back 40,000 years ago. So obviously they're, they're making instruments between 40,000 years ago and roughly 10,000 right. or 13,000 years ago. Um, we just lack the intermediary examples. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it was probably made out of perishable material. So All right. we're, you know, they were making it. We just don't have it. Right. But is it music? Music to my ears. <laughs> what is that screeching? Stop with all the... <laughs> stop. New kids, stop, stop that screeching. Stop blowing on that stupid bone. You're driving me nuts. <laughs> well, it could have been that actually, right? Right. <laughs> but was it? I mean, the two the two prevailing theories, and they're not mutually exclusive. Seem to be, you know, was it bird calls to get the birds to come closer, and then you can catch them, shoot them, whatever? I don't know. Um, or um, was it part of a ritual, which was suggested towards the very end of the article, um, that there could be. Um, some sort of um, based on ethnographically anything from birds has high symbolic value and um, they could have been used in musical or dancing slash musical religious rituals. Um, so that was a suggestion towards the end. So I want to know what you guys think. Right. Well, hold it. There's also a third option and that is that they were that these were bird calls used to attract predator, predator birds, raptors, in order to flush out uh, game birds. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but that's in the category of of hunting. Hunting. 
birds. Right, yeah. but it, it is it is different. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, because it's a sort of an added step, right? Yeah, no, you're right, exactly, and that actually makes more sense to me anyway, because yeah, because that's yeah. how we do it now. Oh, when, I didn't when I'm lurking in marshlands, that's what I'm trying. To do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. Uh, yeah. Um, but okay. is it music? <laughs> but is it music? Music. Well, no, I mean, is, is music a separate, a separate category, um, from functional, let's say, economically important activities, um, <laughs> or or is it or is the minstrel in the gallery just? Ooh. Whoa! <laughs> Going for the deep cuts here. Boy, that was that's. <laughs> That's going to go over a lot of people's heads. I'm afraid, <laughs> not mine, not today. All right, for the under for the under sixty crowd, <laughs> for the under sixty two crowd, <laughs> you can check check our website for liner notes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, are, but are these are these? I mean, we tend to we tend to think today of music in a sense as being separate from other forms of the life experience. You but know? is it really, or or perhaps we should turn this over to the person who was listening to U.S. Blues the other night? Well, so this is an, a particularly personal and interesting meditation for myself, because without talking too much about family members, I have a, a, a family member who is a musician, but does not play music that is would be routinely recognized necessarily as music. Though there are lots of people who go and listen to this kind of music. Um, so music is a pretty broad, highly subjective category. Uh, it's phenomenological. It's, it's phenomenological. It also and, has to do with intentionality. If you intend it as music for entertainment, music for other, another very specific purpose to lull you to sleep, if you intend it for something then it can count as music. If you intend it for bird calls for hunting, then. Yeah. But hunting was a, was a ritual activity because humans were just another, another, you know, stinky animal on the, on the plane. And there, they just have a little more technology to intervene. And, but then, it, and, and now in all, in lots of different cultures, um, they, these humans see themselves, we see ourselves as part of nature. Um, and the hunt, the act of hunting is not, you know, recreational necessarily, but it's no. creating connections and we're part of the circle of life. Food chain. <laughs> Don't make me sing it. <laughs> uh. But, but that's sort of the point, though. The intention of it, if you're using it for hunting, then you're part of the circle of life. And it's just a technology for what you're doing anyway, as opposed to recreational. Um, right. But, you know, Mozart wrote music to uh, to cr shrink the distance between the human experience and, and the divine. That's, um, a, that's one intention. Right. But well, is that's, one, that's one. Yeah, I mean. Who the hell really knows what Mozart was doing? Well, that's right. He was doing some, you know, next level stuff. Exactly. He was doing next level stuff. He wasn't trying to to catch birds, though. Well, he might have been in a in a euphemistic way. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. 
Hey there. Hey there, Maria Teresa. <laughs> Check out this new <laughs> Check out this new opera I wrote. <laughs> Do you gavat? <laughs> I actually thought the um the uh what's it called? The uh opening salvo was going to be something about the magic flute, but Oh, that would have been perfect. Oh. Yeah. Missed opportunity. As usual. <laughs> Par for the course for us, but um, well, it's also worth mentioning that they found at various other Natufian sites, and I think also at uh, here at uh, Inan, other things that could possibly be sound-making devices, like bull roarers, right. you know, the stones that you whip around on a cord and makes a big sound and mm -hmm. and bell-like things and obviously they're banging sticks together um and they're rattles and they're drum-like things so uh, you know there's there's a whole other range of sound creation that has to be integrated along with this very squeaky <clears throat> and the listeners should definitely go to some of these news sites and listen to this um this replica being played or blown yeah. into and it's it's pretty squeaky yeah <laughs> well but this is the thing about birds and and you know i don't know for anyone who's had insomnia at four in the morning or so when you're lying there desperately trying to go to sleep the birds start at around four in the morning and they'll just keep going intently for an hour or so and and you know not everybody likes the sound of birds Oh, birds also, there are lots of different kinds of birds. That's true too, right. Proverbial songbird is is nothing if not delightful. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't know, when starlings squawk at you continuously though. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's all it's all beauties in the eye of the beholder, I guess. Right. right. The, the mighty gobble of, of the American <laughs> turkey. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's a good example because that sound makes you think of certain specific associations that are cultural, that are that are uh, personal, um, and you know I'm sure that these Natufian guys and gals are are aiming at the same kind of thing. They're it's you know it's an it's an intimate form of communication with. Some not always very savory, so to speak, birds. <laughs> oh, I think the way they cooked them up, they were savory. They were, they were very savory. All those raptor burgers. So, so one thing I wanted to bring up was, um, as as in the last ten years, fifteen years, we've just had such an expansion of what we know about these. Um, Epipaleolithic sites, Natufian sites, and early Neolithic sites. Uh, and this uh, this find is obviously going to add to it because it's adding a whole category of 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 our lives, music yeah. to the ancient world. And, and this is really ancient. Um, so if we if we start picking and choosing among all of these kinds of things, we have Gobekli Tepe with all of that crazy artwork and not not least of all birds of prey and birds are presented in abundance right we have chatal huyuk and everything that's going on and obviously these are all from you know different time periods but like i said roughly you know natufian into the neolithic 
Um, and now we have, you know, instruments or bird calls. And it's really bringing a great deal of um, vibrance and life to our interpretive framework of what these time periods were like. And yeah. I think we've all mentioned this in the past, how we all try to, you know, impart to our students or to our audience um, the fact that it's a polychromatic, you know, olfactory, expansive, um, lots of different sounds. You know, these were that these time periods need to be really thought about um, yeah. in the very they're, live. They're life. very much. It's very much humanized. Exactly. Right. What has what was. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting really. <laughs> no, I think you're describing it nicely, actually. Um, it's it's no longer archaeology is no longer about you know kings and queens and palaces and stuff like that. Well, in prehistoric archaeology, it's no longer about counting seeds or and, notches on and notches on flints. Right. And oh, you know, all this, you know, very heavily, very specific technology. It's you know, the real human aspects of of this of these cultures are, are very much coming into focus. And here it's worth mentioning, you know, there's a cave, another Natufian burial cave where the graves are filled with flowers. Right. Rakefet cave. And there's a, there's another burial cave, a burial, it's not a cave, but it's burial of a Natufian woman. They think maybe she was a shaman. Um, she's, you know, she's 45. She's in very, very terrible condition and she's being buried with 50 tortoise shells. Right. And an extra human foot. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Never know. Right. So there's all and of this. this is also when you have dentalia shell necklaces, right? Right. But it, it's not just, oh, they like to look nice. It's like, oh, people, they had these weird by not weird. Um, they had these very complex roles yeah. and very complex behaviors that lasted intergenerationally. And again, it's, it's a question of humanizing people who, who previously were just, you know, tool producers, um, okay. you know, going to work in the quarry and knocking out a bunch of tools and then gathering some, you know, berries to eat or whatever. And they had, they had rich in their lives. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Exactly. And obviously at some point we're going to have, you know, our first, you know, symphony composed on aerophones and <laughs> undoubtedly, you know, you know, presented at, uh, I know, know just the man who can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. This or, is shouldn't we suggest that? This, um, is, this is really exciting, really interesting stuff. And, and it just, yeah. it, it makes our whole appreciation and understanding of these very, very, very ancient time periods all that much, all, all the more richer. Very true. Very true. There's one more thing I want to bring up, which is just the, the specific context where they were found, because hmm. they didn't really talk about it that much in the article that they did at the end. And um, it's it was apparently the, the, the seven... Um, that they found were found either in or near um, domestic context, roofed shelters, I believe. So, so they are, and 
they, they were yeah, in as much as we can talk about their context, they were, you know, they weren't like found out in the street. They weren't found on the outskirts of the town. They were found where you would expect people to be doing daily activities. Right. And we haven't really talked about um, uh, Malaha or, or uh, the Natufian specifically. This is an exciting period. Yeah. And yeah. The transition from, you know, um, uh, hunter-gatherers to a more sedentary society and we should have said this at the beginning of the podcast but we probably yeah. should have but yeah. um anon is is well known for some of the first architecture right in the, in the uh near east right uh, and isn't it interesting they're playing around with sound at the same transitional time it's like transitional and lots of Exactly. Right. And that's when they started talking about, you know, brain capacity and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, right. because they're playing around. There's a lot of stuff that that's that's activated now yeah. and that's playing around with. Well, it goes back to the whole uh, creative explosion kind of theory that was very popular in the 1970s, that uh, the 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 upper Paleolithic as a whole represented this period where <clears throat> human creativity and cognitive abilities exploded all over. And the, the reference was primarily to Europe and caves and cave paintings and sculpture and stuff like that. And this represented that, that all of these expressions, artistic, so to speak, expressions represented new ways of, of, thinking about humans as you know as yes animals but maybe a separate category and you know the individual expressing themselves blah 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 and you know so now we have we have more auditory kinds of kinds of evidence um also in a place where they're they're getting their acts together about producing food <laughs> well right the broad spectrum and so we have the broad spectrum uh, applying to uh, a wide variety of birds and waterfowl and all of that. Yeah. So yeah. this is an outcome of that as well. One thing I do want to bring up um, with regards to, you know, sort of music and, you know, the, uh, the auditory world is that in societies that were living in or using caves, Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. Right. You get a lot of incredible acoustical mm. uh, experiences. And so I again, I think that there's probably a very long, deep history of, you know, playing around with primitive or early music because they were hanging out in caves and yelling echo, echo, echo <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, banging on drums or some percussive instrument. Um and making, you know, making early forms of rhythm and, and music and things like that. So That's that when they, thing. Yeah. yeah. So when they came out of the caves, they had to, you know, figure out ways to do that above ground yeah. where right. the acoustics weren't great. Um, and so, and, this, and in these caves, um, it, there's diminishing amounts of oxygen <laughs> the further you go in. <laughs> right. And, yeah you know and there's a big literature on this now that you're basically like tripping yep right um yep. so the the connection between the auditory environment which probably included some kind of musical you know interlude 
and the uh, the psychedelic and psychological environment um, was very uh, was established very very early on. It's, yeah. you know yeah. all of these European caves and the Middle Eastern caves. It's probably like basically a, a dead show, circa right. 1969. Well, the- Right. One of my colleagues here at Tennessee has has done a lot of research on in Tennessee caves on cave painting. And he's found that um, the acoustics in some of these very, you know, very deep parts of caves um, where there's a lot of painting are extraordinary. And so there's this linkage between cave painting and um, and sound. Uh, so, right. Um, very interesting, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. So, again, I'm now I'm thinking, right coming above ground would have been a real kind of a kind of a downer would, right would you have the, used these bird calls above ground i mean i mean underground it wouldn't would they, they have, i mean in the Valley, they weren't living in caves right they weren't living in caves and and you know and they're you know birds are an outside right <laughs> anyway and uh but it would have sounded very different in a cave than out of a cave and i don't think they would have been doing it in a cave um well they, why, why not they, you're 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 dancing around the fire <laughs> and you're you know you're oh i'm a raptor today i'm a raptor <laughs> squeak 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 with my little my little bird call i'm raptor man or raptor right. woman right well i mean this that's the other thing which i wanted to get back to a little bit are you dancing around using these things whether or not you use them to actually trap the birds and and you know are you also doing rituals with them We'll never know. We'll never know what kind of rituals. Well, what's the difference between uh, a ritual that's designed to improve your hunting and a ritual that is the actual hunting? So you're envisioning a, a, a ceremony that goes along with a bird hunt. Well, I, I think every look, everything is a ceremony. Right. Well, yeah. now oh, we're... No, not necessarily. You know, if you're just going out hunting, you say, Bye, honey. I'm going out hunting. I'm going to come back with some birds. Um, no, I no, think you're that's trying very to, utilitarian. Yeah, that's. I think you're trying to set yourself you're, up for the you're most. Disen, you're disenchanting the world. There is the enchantment. <laughs> <laughs> we want enchantment. I'm very practical minded. You are practical. Yeah. I um, I think that um, through the through the into the beginning of the bronze age everything is enchanted out the wazoo right mm. and you don't I don't think you have any evidence to say that who needs evidence these are heartfelt okay. qualitative comments let's let's stop with all the quantification and evidence okay fine. okay forget the whole sciency thing yeah exactly well what but what are you envisioning you're, you're envisioning like okay let's put Let's get serious here. We, we we've got to get some birds. Yeah, we're hungry. We need. We're some hungry. Birds we need here. some birds. Yeah, and right. But aren't you invoking, there's no fooling around. Right. But aren't you invoking all the gods and all the belief systems available to make sure right. that you get those birds and that you come home and feed your family? I mean, I think I think on the one hand, maybe they're doing these rituals in advance, or maybe they're doing these rituals afterwards. But when you got to eat, you just got to go out and get the food. And I do see it as, as separate, not mutually exclusive. You could use the same, you can, in fact, I kind of like this. You can use the same musical instrument, both in the bird hunt and in the ritual that you do before to bring you luck or afterwards to say thank you to the gods. Um, but I don't think, I don't think the ritual was about the actual hunt or was during part of the actual hunt. 
Well, this is a problem because we can only rely on ethnographic analogies. And those are fraught with, <laughs> with evolutionary danger. Um, as as we students of uh, Norm Yaffe have been conditioned to uh, to think. And, you know, so, but I think that it's, uh, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a separation in, okay. in, in these, uh, in these periods. And I'm not sure there's a separation today right. when, when, and here we, you know, we got to get Jimmy on the phone <laughs> when Jimmy and his pals go out hunting what's the separation between the ritualistic you know consumption of of items and the 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 social experience of bonding over tromping through the mud and discharging large caliber firearms and um the and the rest i think it's all part of a seamless um you know spiritualized in some sense experience Right, but is it how explicit is it? I it's think that intent. Yeah, I think it's a lot less explicit now. Today. Yeah, today. Well, but it Jimmy. but it achieves the same kinds of things. Yeah. It's a social and, ritual is different than I, religious ritual. Well, that I don't know about. Right, but <laughs> but any kind of hunting party is by by definition a social ritual. It is, but it's not a religious ritual, a religious activity. How do you know? Uh, you, you go out onto the you go out onto the football field, and you okay. You huddled sure. you huddle up and you, you say, you know, in some parts of the country, God bring us this this victory. Okay. I think it's uh, I think it's more more and less explicit depending on the context, but the. The, the subtext is always there. Right. And how can you say if you don't, if, if you're going hunt, if every deer season you take the time to take off of work, to go out hunting the first day of deer season, and you have a whole set of prescribed rituals, which you always do. We always stop at the following place. We always go here. We always, you know, set up our blinds, there, whatever it is. Yeah. How is that not ultimately religious? Okay. That's no, that's, that's fair. That's true. But also just think about what you just said, take off the time from work and to go do this recreational activity because hunting today is largely well, it's not recreational. Right. It's not at all recreational for, for some, you know, immense number of people. Right. Well, but those, so those, those people are not the ones who take time off from work. That is their work. No, that's my point. That's not true. It's, you know, if for, for people who, for people who have who rely on animal protein, hunted animal protein, that uh, f you know to supply them through the winter, that's one of the things that they do. In addition to whatever it else else right. it is, whether right, it's an office job or working in a in another context, and okay, uh, then it still counts as work. If they, if they're doing it for subsistence, then it counts as work. Everything counts as work. <laughs> With ritual, everything's work. Oh my God, this is really becoming all right. It's holistic. Yeah, it's, really. We we should probably wind wind it down. <laughs> <laughs> um final thoughts. <laughs> my mind is blank. Um 
I will now think of birds differently when I hear them at four in the morning. I'll think of their chirping differently. I, I don't have a single final thought. I have a very uh, enriched view of the Natufian and the Natufians based on these finds. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely the case uh, and they're at once they're so different in some ways but they're so much the same yeah. as as us that uh you know to me it it always you know these prehistoric things always highlight the depressing <laughs> the depressing nature of the bronze age and the iron age well the depressing familiarity yeah that's interesting so um, i was just thinking of of musical artifacts from the Bronze or Iron Age. And of course, I think of the... Um, Liar. Liars, right. Well, no, I was thinking of the stand from Ashdod with the oh. musicians. Oh, with, with the two uh, flutes. Yeah. Uh, the... yeah. Zamfir, was... master of the pan flute. <laughs> and I was thinking about how, how more resplendent this Natufian flute is than that produced object in oh. which you know <laughs> musicians are a reified you know status class of you know the late bronze and iron ages and blah 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 everything is bigger and better in the bronze and iron age and i don't know why you guys are dumping on them no um, that's because it's because because society is so deeply etched in and and everyone's embedded within their yeah and it's exactly well, like today yeah, exactly. And that's why it's so interesting because it's exactly like today. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. Right. I do like thinking about soundscapes though. That's, that's, uh, I want to substitute my four in the morning birds. I want to substitute the idea of soundscapes for my And here birds. I want to a shout out to a colleague who I spent some time at the Albright with and Zemo who does soundscapes of, of the medieval period in the near East. Oh, Think okay. about church bells and uh, what you would be hearing you know, the the call the call to prayer and church bells and that kind of a soundscape and and yeah Alex your comment earlier about how soundscapes are a very vital interesting aspect of uh, historical research these days is really is really true and there's also the opposite and that's the construction of silence um, and that's how that's how monasteries mm, mm, in mm. desert monasteries in particular are constructed to maximize the the silence which is another kind of you know, psychedelic <laughs> kind of trigger right and, but we could i bet we could deconstruct that and and ultimately come out and saying yeah these monasteries were not so quiet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, probably uh, you know in inside but outside you know the wind we i think we like general. to think of them that way and they like to portray themselves that way or have themselves portrayed in that way. But between the natural sounds and the sounds of, you know, all of the production that was going on, right? Baking bread, you know, collecting firewood, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they weren't talking, but yeah. there was a lot of, there was a lot of sound, I bet. That's true. And and ritual sounds like chanting and singing. Right. And, yeah. and lighting candles and mm -hmm. letter, lighting mm -hmm. And we can get into smellscapes too. The sound it? of the Zippo being clicked <laughs> open. No, but the sound of that match, you know, lighting a a, a lamp. Yeah. Would be a very powerful and evocative sound in 
in that kind of a quiet environment. That's true. And, and, and as you said, Rachel, the smellscape aspect of it, which yeah. is another huge area right. for, for archaeologists another, to explore now. Right, let's do another podcast about smellscapes. Let's, let's find something to... <laughs> um, you know, so these seven birds that lived, what, 12,000 years ago and died and gave their wing bones to, to act as uh, flutes, that got us from those very particular long dead birds to larger metaphysical ideas. That's why they pay us the big bucks. That's right. Right. From it's it's these kinds of insights that you can't really even put a price on. Right. <laughs> Except for big bucks. That would be that would be good. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run out and and and, uh, and copyright the term Neflutian. I like it. <laughs> okay. All righty. All right. And we are. Well, after this discussion, I'm throwing on one of my favorite flute albums, Herbie Mann's classic Push Push, and hoping it doesn't bring on a raptor attack. Anywho, as always, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and follow him on Instagram at, at 54BPM. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, a division of Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Be sure to watch The Hazel Scott Show, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 7.45 to 8. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment. Hit the little heart-shaped button. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at @thisancient and on Facebook. Contact us via electronic mail at This Week in the Ancient Near East, it's all one word, at gmail.com. Or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.